Thanks, Pastor Wang and uh, Jenny. Uh, Wang, you're definitely one of the founding members of Mercy House, no doubt about it. Um, and I remember that day well, meeting you in the campus center and uh, also re remember you being all-time usher greeter every Sunday, passing out the, the program, welcoming people, and uh, just being uh, an important part of Mercy House. So thanks, thanks for doing that for us, man. That was that was incredible. That's the first time I've seen that. So, um, all right. So we've been looking at the Book of Luke, and we've been seeing that the overall message of the Book of Luke is telling us who Jesus is and how we would, how we should respond uh, to Jesus, uh, who He is. He is the Savior uh, of. Uh, our souls, the Savior of, of us from sin, um, and He is also King. And the response He is asking uh, from us is that we would comprehensively surrender everything to Him. I mean, we were just singing it with JD just moments ago. Take everything. That, when we sing that kind of thing, that's what we're talking about. And so this is why Jesus even likens discipleship to death itself, that, that every cell of the body would die to lesser allegiances and rise to one ultimate allegiance uh, to King Jesus. And we, we, we see that, we agree with that, we might think, well, that's a little scary, it's exciting. Uh, I think there's a lot of emotions that are tied into that kind of a response uh, when, when we hear that kind of a message. But I think also we ask ourselves, well, how do we do this? How, how do we follow Jesus? And it seems like it was easier for the original disciples because all they had to do was just get up in the morning and just literally follow Jesus to the next village and do whatever he said. And yet here we are um, without a, a physical Jesus walking around being told we need to, quote, follow Jesus. And a big part, not, not the only part, but a big part of the answer to that question is how, how we follow Jesus is pray. We pray. And so Jesus spends a lot of time uh, instructing his disciples on the importance of prayer and, and how uh, to pray. And so this passage, this is such a key passage to understanding uh, the nature of, of prayer. And so we're going to look at three different things, three different questions going to be answered in this passage. So, so who is it that we're praying to? Uh, what do we pray? Right? What the actual kind of words that we would say to this one that we're praying to? And how do we go about it? So who are we praying to? What do we pray? And how uh, do we pray? And I love the way this conversation about prayer gets started with, between Jesus and the disciples. Um, Luke 11, 1 says, Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. Um, Jesus has already been showing them the importance of prayer. Um, you know, here in 11.1, he's praying, but Luke has already been reporting to us that Jesus has uh, been praying. And what he's showing us is how he is following the invisible God, the Father. Um, so, so even though they get to get up every morning and follow a, a physical Jesus walking around on planet Earth, he himself is following the lead of, of his Father, who is invisible. And so he's showing us the big part of how you do that is that you pray. And Luke's been reporting that this has been happening all throughout his gospel so far. Luke 5.16, he, Jesus, would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Uh, the next, very next chapter, Luke 6.12, in these days he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. 
Uh, Luke 9.28, Now about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. But not only has he been showing them that prayer is important, he's been telling them that prayer is important. Places like Luke 6.28, Bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. And then from last week, what Tommy preached on, Luke 10, verse 2, he said to them, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers for into his harvest. And so we see Jesus both modeling prayer and also teaching uh, the disciples the importance of prayer. And it causes them to think, ah, okay, I know it's important, but I don't know how to pray. And so they ask the question, Lord, would you teach us to pray? And this is a good moment for the disciples. There's been other times earlier in the book of Luke where they had a question, but they were afraid to ask Jesus. So there's some growth going on here where they're like, hey, Jesus, we don't understand how to pray. Would you teach us to pray? And of course, Jesus is happy uh, to, to do exactly that. And so I think most of us are also in a similar situation. Like, we, like the disciples, we know that prayer is important. Like, we've read enough books maybe on prayer, or we've heard sermons on prayer, or maybe we know a few Christians that have a, a, a mature prayer life. And so in, in the back of our minds, we're thinking, prayer is important. But we really don't know how to pray. And so we, too, need to ask this question, uh, Lord, would you teach us to pray? And so not only is he teaching the disciples here, he's teaching us in this scripture. So I hope you're following along on the digital bulletin there in the YouVersion app uh, or also on the mercyhouse365.org slash live. You can see where you can get to the digital bulletin and there you'll see the outline. You'll also see the scriptures uh, for today. And so we want to look at the first question. Who uh, are we praying to? And who we're praying to is the Father. The Father. So, so Luke here uh, is giving us uh, what, what is um, oftentimes called the Lord's Prayer or the Model Prayer. And Luke's version is actually shorter uh, than uh, the version that's in Matthew chapter 6. Um, but it is uh, in line with that Lord's Prayer or Model Prayer. And so the first word in this Model Prayer is Father. Um, we can preach an entire sermon right here on just God as Father uh, very easily. But but let's just think about the implications of this. If I'm calling God my father, that means I am God's child. Uh, if I'm God's child, that means that God is responsible for me. If I'm God's child, I'm responsible to the father. Right? It also means there's a closeness in this relationship. There's also respect in this relationship. There's love in this relationship. There's reverence, even healthy uh, fear. And so we might ask ourselves, well, how is it that I can call God Father? Is that just merely because I'm created by God and that means I'm his child? No, actually, there's much more to it than than that. And Jesus has already hinted at this reality uh, in the chapter before, in Luke chapter 10, verse 22. He says this, All things have been handed over to me by my Father. No one knows who the Son is except the Father, or who the Father is except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal Him. There's a lot in this verse, but think about the logic here, where he says, God the Father knows God the Son, and God the Son knows God the Father. But the big kicker here is that God the Son is revealing God the Father to you and me. 
So, so somehow, God the Son is, is ushering us into a relationship with God the Father. Uh, he says as many different ways. He, he says in other Gospels, he, he, you might know the verse, John 14, 6, where Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So, so again, somehow, Jesus is ushering us into a relationship with God uh, the Father. But how is he doing that? Well, you may remember from Holy Week when, uh, I think on Good Friday, we really drilled down into this uh, verse that is words of Jesus from the cross in Luke 23, the first part of verse 34, where Jesus says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. This is a stunning statement here. Jesus is revealing that the way he's ushering us into relationship with the Father is through his death on the cross. That because of what Jesus does on the cross, we can be forgiven and reconciled to the Father. So think of it this way. There's no way I can pray to God as my Father unless I have placed faith in Jesus the Son and what he's done for me on the cross. There's no other way that this prayer could be a reality except through faith in Christ. So, so if you've not done that, I would encourage you to do that this morning, to trust in what Christ has done for you on the cross, because through that you have access to the Father, and you can say to God that he is your Father. So now that we, 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 we know that God is our Father, how do we approach God the Father? I mean, Different, different fathers have different uh, expectations about the way that they're approached. I was thinking about my own kids and how uh, they approach me. And I was thinking, each of them has a, has a different way that they approach me. So Corey, for some reason, Corey says, what's up, Pop? That, that's like his typical uh, way that he engages with me on the phone or whenever we're talking. Uh, Kayla usually says, hello, Father. So, so she uses some kind of weird accent. Uh, and she'll call me father, right? Uh, and then Cooper, believe it or not, Cooper is like the most normal of the three. <laughs> and uh, he, he just says, hey, Dad. You know, how's it going, Dad? But then there's usually, he's slapping me or hitting me or something. So, so, there, so there is some, you know, kind of, kind of strange interaction. I don't know what's going on in our house, but, but it's, it's weird, all right? So, so that's how they interact with me. Now, how should we interact with God the Father? I think it's a little different than my kids interact with me. Um, so, so look at how Luke, uh, Luke reports Jesus giving us some insight into how to approach God, uh, the Father. And, and there's a vertical component to this prayer that's given, and then there's a horizontal uh, component as well. Um, and it's important, this vertical component to come first is, is really important. Right? to acknowledge the, the, the nature of the relationship that we have with God uh, the Father. I mean, you, even if you were to call up your parents uh, for something, you want something from them, you wouldn't just say, uh, hi, Mom and Dad, would you give me some money? Like, you wouldn't do that. Like, like you, you would acknowledge the relationship. You, you would talk back and forth. Uh, just the, 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 the relationship itself would then take precedent over the request. But then eventually, you know, you would get to the request and say, hey, Mom and Dad, could you give me some some money. Um, and so he, look how we uh, acknowledge the relationship that we have with God the Father. Uh, it, the next phrase there is, hallowed or holy be your name. 
Now, this doesn't mean that by our prayer, we are making God's name holy, right? He's holy, whether we pray it or not. But what we are doing is we're acknowledging our understanding of who God is, that God who, yes, is our Father, is also holy, right? And in saying that, we're saying He is perfect, He is set apart, He is, He's God. <laughs> and so we, we, are, we are hallowing His name, we're acknowledging uh, the reality of who He is. We're also saying that the temple of our heart is a holy, sacred place of worship of the one true God. Now, all human beings have some kind of worship going on in their heart. Everyone's a temple of worship. It's just, who are we worshiping? And, and what Jesus is directing us to do is say, say you, sh- you should hallow God in the temple of your heart. Now, you've been in some sacred spaces probably before, a cathedral, uh, a church, a, a mosque, um, where you, you've been asked to hallow the space, to behave in a certain way. Last spring, uh, my wife and I had the opportunity to, to go to Turkey, and uh, we visited uh, the Blue Mosque. And so the, and when you go into the Blue Mosque, which is this big, beautiful mosque, uh, you have, the, the women have to wear a head covering. If you have shorts on, you have to like wrap up and cover up your legs. Uh, you have to take shoes off. I guess all these things you have to do because they're communicating this is a sacred space. But the sacred space in this prayer is you. It's you. You're saying, I am setting apart myself, my heart, for the true worship of God. Now, the very next phrase, it, it just is hand in hand with this idea of worshiping a holy God. He says, your kingdom come. So not only am I setting God apart as the one that I worship, I'm also bowing the knee to this one true God. He is my king. Uh, interesting enough, when we went to the Blue Mosque, when the, when the call of prayer was about to go off, they would shoo all the tourists out. And then all, all the, the believing Muslims would go in. And, and if you've seen Muslim prayer time in the mosque, they're, they're down on their knees, they're bowing down to their understanding of who God is. And, and so this idea of that which we worship is that which we bow the knee to just goes hand in hand. And this is what's in this prayer, that God, who we now by grace have a relationship with as our Father, we are worshiping God and we are bowing the knee to God, who is our King. Now you may be saying, okay, does this mean we shouldn't ask for anything? I mean, if this is the kind of God that we're worshiping and serving, maybe we, maybe we shouldn't, shouldn't ask. Well, that couldn't be farther from the truth. We should ask. And uh, Jesus makes this very clear, and, and he does this by talking about the, the parent-child relationship. And he usually does this when he's talking about prayer. Luke 11, 11 through 13, so kind of bounce down a few verses there. What father among you... If his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask them? So the, the argument is, okay, if, if parents who are not holy, who, who, who are actually evil, are still inclined to give good things to their kids, then how much more will a perfect, holy loving, good Father in heaven who's being asked for uh, something, right? And so um, we say, okay, well, what should we ask for? 
If, if we're supposed to ask, then what do we ask for? Well, look at the next two phrases in the model prayer. Uh, he says in the end of verse 3, Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. Okay, so now we've moved from sort of the vertical acknowledgement of our relationship with God and who He is. Now we're moving into a horizontal uh, part of the prayer where we're asking for provision. And there's two kinds of provision that are being asked for here, both temporal provision and spiritual provision. So in the temporal provision, it, it's food. Right? We need food. And, and I don't think that this means we can only ask for food as re in regard to temporal stuff. I think we can ask for housing and friends and education and jobs, and healing from sickness. It's right and godly to ask for these things. Like Jesus is saying, I want you to ask for these things. It's also right and godly to be content with the daily provision of those things. You notice, it, 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 he says, each day, or this day, some translations would say, our daily bread. It's like two dailies right there, right next to each other. And what he's getting at is, is that the expectation is that it would be daily provision. And so if that's being provided, then you ought to be content. Now, I'm not saying that's easy. I'm just saying this is what's being communicated in the prayer as regards to expectations about uh, daily provision. And this is the way children trust their parents, right? You, 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 your small child asks you for, you know, says, I'm hungry. And what do you do? You give them a turkey sandwich, and they're happy. They're content. They're not thinking, I wonder if mom and dad are going to give me a, a food for dinner. They're not worried about dinner. They're just happy that they've been give, given food for lunch, and they're uh, grateful for that. The, but there's also this provision of, of spiritual uh, needs, for, for spiritual needs as well. Uh, God knows we, we need both things for the temporal life and, both, and for the spiritual life as well. In this uh, prayer, he gives forgiveness Right? And this implies that God's children are going to sin. Um, we, we're, we're going to, to sin. We're going to need to regularly confess uh, sin. And so there's this experience of confessing sin to God and then experiencing what we'll call absolution of that sin. That, 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 that you, you acknowledge it and then it's absolved. And this doesn't mean you have to ask forgiveness for every sin. If you're, you're going to get forgiveness for every sin... Uh, all those sins were taken care of at the cross. But what Jesus is revealing is, is that there, there's something spiritually healthy about an ongoing life of confession of sin to God and the experience of the absolution of that sin. Just like we need daily food, we need this daily confession absolution uh, of, of sin. And it contributes to our spiritual uh, health. Now, that's kind of on the, on the personal needs part of the prayer. Now we're moving out towards sinners and a sinful world. We're going to need resources to do that. And look at the next uh, part of the prayer, uh, rest of verse 4. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. So it's interesting, right? It's asking for it, to, to be equipped, um, uh, to move toward others who are, are sinners like us. And in order to do that, we're going to have to be able to give forgiveness uh, to those uh, who are in our lives because they're sinners, right? Just, just like us. Um, and that's tied to the forgiveness we've just received from God. You hear the Apostle Paul write this in the Colossians 3.3 as he talks about life in the church. He says, Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, 
forgive as the Lord forgave you. You see what, he's, what Paul's doing there? Same thing Jesus is doing here. He's saying, okay, you receive the forgiveness and then you give that forgiveness uh, to others. And in order to move toward others in community, we're going to have to have that spiritual resource. Um, and the next spiritual resource that is asked for is that, that we would not be led into temptation. Uh, now, what this is not saying is that God is leading us into temptation and we have to ask him, hey, God, would you stop that? Would you, would you not lead me into temptation? But it's, a, it's like a poetic way of saying, I don't even want to be tempted, much less give in to sin. So it really does reveal the heart of the person who's praying this prayer. And so again, it, it's saying, without your help, God, I will not be able to resist temptation. I, I need help both to forgive those that are in my life, uh, that, are, that are sinners, of course, uh, just like me, and I need help to withstand uh, the temptation that I have to, to, to go up against uh, in this world. And so you can kind of see the, the, the logic of the prayer, starting off with God, who we're worshiping, we're submitting to, and then asking for resources, both uh, for our own personal uh, needs, spiritual and temporal, and also the needs that we have as we move out into uh, the world. And this is all in this Lord's Prayer. And, and, and so, you know, if you're familiar with the Lord's Prayer, you know there's a few more phrases here and there. A lot of those are in Matthew 6. Uh, but I would encourage you to use the Lord's Prayer in your daily prayer life. I use it every day. It's, 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 it's like it, I use it to order my prayers. It doesn't just mean I'm just reciting it, just, just reciting it just as, as is, and then I'm just done with it. I'm cruising through the parts of it to help me move vertical and then move horizontal in my own personal needs and then move horizontal in my interactions with other people. So I use it to order my own prayer life for me, my prayer life for my family, my prayer life for you, the church. Uh, and so if, if you haven't been using it, uh, maybe you use something else to order your prayer life. We use the Acts acrostic over the winter break. That's very helpful uh, as well. But I think for most of us, we need something to order our prayer life. Otherwise, we kind of get stuck in these little ruts where we're, we're just basically calling up dad and saying, hey, will you give me money? You know, like we don't want to pray like that. We want to pray in a way that Christ has taught us uh, to pray. So that's who we're praying to. That's what we're praying and then thirdly, how do we pray? Um, and Jesus communicates this by telling a little, a funny little story about a friend who uh, shows up at your door at midnight asking for loaves of bread. It's a very specific ask. He's like, I want three loaves of bread. Uh, and it's in the middle of the night. And he's appealing on the basis of friendship. Uh, Jesus describes it this way. Suppose you have a friend who says, friend, lend me three loaves. Um, and Jesus then says, you won't give this guy three loaves of bread because he's your friend. You will give this guy three loaves of bread because of, the ESV says, your importunity, or uh, NIV says, shameless audacity. Uh, New Living Translation says, shameless persistence. It's this Greek word that, that really is hard to encapsulate in one, uh, one word. But the, the gist of it is shameless persistence. So it's, it's as if he is knocking on the door, you know, and, and he knows it's midnight, he knows you're asleep, and he's just shameless about it. He just keeps knocking, keeps knocking, keeps knocking, and eventually here you come to the door. 
And, he, and he's saying, you would give that guy uh, some bread because of this shameless persistence. So what is he saying about, about prayer? Well, it's, it's another one of these how much more parables. We're saying, you know, if, if a grumpy, groggy neighbor will give good, something good to another neighbor just because of shameless persistence, how much more? Will a loving Father, an all-powerful, all-good Father, give you what you're asking for when you are bold and you are persistent? And then the punchline, this is such a beautiful invitation from Jesus. Verse 9, he says, I tell you, ask, it will be given. Seek, you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. Hear Jesus' invitation. He's saying, come and get it. Come boldly. Come persistently. You're not coming to a friend who's groggy and grumpy. You're coming to a heavenly father who's all-powerful and all-loving. This is who you're praying to. And so it's just this beautiful invitation by Jesus to come and to ask. This is how you pray. This is how you pray. This was Jesus' answer to the disciples' question, how to, how to pray. Right? And so here's a, a little bit of a, uh, of a picture of it on this slide. And this is also in the digital bulletin as well, if you want to take a look at it. But we talked about the vertical, praying to the Father, acknowledging that he's worthy of worship and obedience, and then moving into the horizontal, where we're, we're asking for temporal and spiritual needs. And then also in the horizontal, help with others, with, 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 with the, the, the sin issues that we have to deal with in our relationships but also the temptations that are being uh, presented to us in the world. God is all good and all powerful, and we are incredibly weak and in need of daily provision, which is why Jesus is teaching his disciples to pray this way. There's more application questions in the digital bulletin, and I would encourage you to, to go to those later and just to kind of reflect on your own prayer life and think about, okay, what are some next steps that I can take uh, to move toward uh, a more meaningful prayer life. Uh, we want to move into the question time now, and, and you may have some questions, and you are welcome to put those uh, in uh, the chat feature there in Facebook Live. And uh, I want to start with a couple of questions that I immediately kind of brought to the text myself. And one was, okay, so Jesus says, ask and it will be given. Well, why don't I get everything that I ask for? Um, and so... Uh, uh, short answer is, the reason I don't get everything that I ask for is because God doesn't give me snakes and scorpions. And sometimes when I'm asking for something that seems good to me, it's actually something that's bad for me. It's not going to serve God's glory and serve uh, my good. Uh, and, and I think parents of small children, they, they totally get this, right? Like you're trying to give your, your child naps and vegetables and it's good. Like, that's a good thing. And that's not what they're uh, oftentimes wanting. Uh, the book of James gives us a little bit of a corrective on this whole, like, ask and get everything you ask for. He says, you do not have because you do not ask God. So there's the part about, you know, if you don't ask, you're not going to get it. But then the corrective is, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. And so our, our greatest good is to know God, right? And so God's not going to give us something that is actually going to contribute to our worship of idols. He's going to give us what's going to contribute to our worship of Him 
because that is what gives him the greatest glory is also our greatest good. You notice that in, in the passage there where it says, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So this, this is our greatest good, to know God, to get more of God. Like this is the kind uh, of, of prayer that uh, the Father desires us to ask. And so the second question was, well, is, does that mean there's some things I shouldn't ask for? Right? And, and I would say yes. I mean, there are things you shouldn't ask for, like, like things that contradict the Bible. Right? I, I don't think you should get up in the morning and pray, God, help me steal a car. Right? Like, like I don't think God is honored uh, by that kind uh, of prayer. Um, another way to say it is uh, we want to align ourselves to the kingdom of God as we're praying, right? That's why, that's part of the beginning of this prayer is that we're saying, your kingdom come. Oftentimes, our prayers are more in line with my kingdom come. And so there's this constant alignment by God's word through his spirit whereby we're getting aligned with the kingdom of God such that we can ask things that are in accordance with his rule and his reign, which is the ultimate good (laughs) for us. And so it's a constant growth for us. And it's probably why we need to just keep persistent. Right? We need to keep boldly praying, asking, seeking, knocking, because God is he's changing us and, and aligning us with his good and perfect kingdom. All right. Well, any other questions that folks have? Yep. Okay. Persistent versus redundancy. Sometimes in being persistent, I feel like I'm just being redundant, heaping up the same old phrases to him when he already heard and knew anyway. How do you differentiate between the two? Oh, hey, Winnie. Um, So I I think partly the way to understand this is this is not a stagnant kind of a a process. It's not static where you're like, I want a Range Rover. I want a Range Rover. I want a Range Rover. I want to, that's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is you're, you're asking for something and then you're not getting it and then you're entering into a conversation with God through his word. And you're saying, okay, so you're not giving this to me. Why is that, Lord? Like, let's, let's talk about this. Like, what, what's going on? Is it a timing thing? Am I asking something that's not good for me? And so this is a very relational thing, just like a father, father or mother and their children, right? The, the child asks for something, and, you know, some days you might say, no. <laughs> but most days you're like, no, that, that's actually going to spoil your dinner, or you've already had a piece of chocolate cake and you don't need five more pieces, or... Like there's some kind of a, of, a, of a relational dynamic. And so, I, yeah, this whole persistence idea I don't think is a static thing but a very dynamic thing where you're going back and forth with God through his word. So it's a great question. Love that. <laughs> Long prayers versus short prayers. Do you, not, do you not be like the Gentiles for they think they will be heard for their many words and he knows what you want before you even ask but it also says to turn to him for our every need so it gets a bit confusing. Uh, how deep or long our prayers should be. Winnie, man, you're on fire this morning. Good job. Um, so one of the, the, the things about the context of the, the way the Gentiles pray is that they're uh, using almost like magic. So, so they're thinking, if I say the right word, I say them a certain way, uh, I'm going to sort of kind of divine this thing that I, that I want. And so this is not what we're doing. We're, we're not trying to sort of cast a magic spell in the way um, that we pray. Um, and so I, I think uh, just like communication with, uh, you know, your, your, a friend or your father or your mother, 
sometimes it's short prayers. You know, sometimes it's short communication. Sometimes it's longer communication, right? And so, I mean, my, my favorite prayer is help. Like, I'm walking into a situation. I f- I'm feeling like I don't know what to do or say, and I don't have time to really pray it up. I'm like, help. That's, that's the only prayer. Um, other times, uh, it seems appropriate, and I have time to, to really say, Lord, help me work this out and say more. But again, it goes back to that relationship thing. So, so it's, it's a very dynamic kind of a experience. So, great question. Another one. Oh. How come Jesus calls his own disciples evil? Verse 13, referring to original, oh, referring to original uh, sin. <laughs> Michael Raffo and his mom. Hey, good to, good to hear from you, Michael, and your mom. Um, and so, yes, I, I think one of the ways you could uh, understand it uh, is that he's making comparison between humans and God, right? And, and so, in that comparison, all humans are evil, right? It's not using the evil word like, you know, Hitler's evil and no one else is evil. I, I really think it's more, even though you're imperfect and you don't ever, always ever, you know, do everything right, um, you still are inclined to give good things to your kids. And uh, so I do think there's like this comparison to uh, sinful humans versus the holy, perfect, loving uh, God. Great question. All right. Well, those are some great questions. Appreciate you uh, guys uh, giving us those. And uh, Austin's going to come, and he's going to lead us in some prayer. So let's do the thing we've been talking about.